Welcome to our Christmas special. Today we're going to be talking about the top stories of the year. We'll be talking about Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Madonna. Plus updates on Lizzo, Alice Evans and Zac Efron. This is kind of like the straight to the comments version of the Top of the Pops Christmas special. Oh, I used to love them. I know. So grab your favourite drink and cosy up by the fire. Or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere like me, go sit by the pool with a cocktail. And let's jingle all the way to the comments. You're so cheesy. (laughs) So Sarah, I start every episode saying this. So Sarah, Reddit is giving me like this year in review about 2023 and how much I've scrolled. And it says that I've scrolled, wait for it, the length of 25,683 bananas. Bananas. Oh, okay. (laughs) I know. That is a hell of a lot of bananas. (laughs) It was quite shocking, but quite a brilliant way to make you think, bloody hell, how much... I don't even like to think how much I've scrolled on the mail online. Yeah, no, I think that would be much worse for me. Please don't visualise that, please. You know, like the mail online, if they did like the Spotify year unwrapped thing they do, and it'd be like, you keep reading stories about Madonna. (laughs) Yeah, Taylor Swift. No politics at all. No. But actually, in all seriousness, with all the scrolling and the reading the comments that I've done over the last year, I think there's no surprises in saying that this really has been the year of Taylor Swift. I mean, I've always loved her, but I'm genuinely a little bit overwhelmed by all the stories and media coverage of her. And actually, we've never really done, we've never really discussed having an episode about her. I feel like everyone sort of knows everything about her. I don't feel like there's anything to say. There's so much noise around her as well in terms of how either rabid people are in defending her or in hating on her or etc etc it's just it's almost like she sneezes and there's a story that's been leaked so that it's really hard to find an angle I think I mean she's got an incredible grip on the world right now and let me just sort of break down some of the stats for you time has named Taylor the woman of the year in 2023. Yeah. We all know she's nearly a billionaire. We all probably know that she's had one of the most successful world tours ever with Eras. And apparently she's making around $13 million a night. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. And there's even been something called Swiftonomics to describe the sort of boost and uplift she's making to the local economies during her tour. And there's also a lot of stories that she's actually very generous to the local communities that she's going to in terms of gifting food aid, and also very generous payouts to her staff. So like I said, it's a lot of positive stories about Taylor Swift. I feel like the biggest things that jump into my mind, though, are the fact that she was seen out and about with um, Sophie Turner after her divorce, and that Mm. almost became bigger than the people involved in the divorce. Yeah. And then her dating life. I do feel for her. I mean, she can't do a single thing without being so much under scrutiny. And it was really interesting reading this review about Taylor Swift by Joe Ellison in the Financial Times. She said, there's also much talk of her relatability, her spooky gift for transposing heartbreak into bridges, and the fact that she can tap into the smallest human failings, like pettiness, social anxiety, clumsiness, and spin them into giant, unapologetic karaoke songs. Then there's her odd brand of beauty, part Barbie, part Southern Belle, Swift's career has always seen her playing with the tropes of femininity, the homecoming queen, the fairy nymph, the socialite, only to subvert them with her goofy charm. Yeah, I think there is something about that. She still also has that element, but in a sort of more approachable way, of that sort of idealised who you wanted to be when you were at school, kind of like, it makes me think of Gwyneth Paltrow, that sort of blonde 
tall, yeah. slim, you know, but she seems like she does have a sort of like likable charm. And I think that's, you know, she talks openly about her cat, you know, what's not to like. <laughs> um, she's a huge fan of Law and Order SVU, these kind of things. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And she writes her own music. It's so uh, like we've got people like Beyonce who was as huge as her, you know, and is as huge as her, mm. but usually they don't write their own music. So we've had all those divas that are huge, but she, there's something a bit about that that I like. She really captures that feeling when you're like 15 or 16 and you're crushing so bad on someone and they're just out of reach. I just think she's incredible. And I'm like, how does she write so many brilliant songs? Uh, mm. I mean, it is, it is, it is amazing. And it's actually interesting because someone said, why are so many 40-year-old women invested in Taylor? Well, that would be us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like this meme going around, I think, on Instagram, like my wife's reading about Taylor Swift every night and she's in her 40s. Well, I don't think any of us really have left school internally to a certain extent. We're all walking around with those woundings from being bullied or not being popular or blah, blah, blah. And she's kind of tapping into all those base emotions that we continue to like drive off even as adults. We just yeah. take it into the workplace or into our adult relationships. I'm the same. One of my best friends is like um, in her 50s and she also watches all these like teen rom-coms like yeah. I do. And I'm like, why am I doing it? Because I didn't actually have a teen age years like that. And I don't know how many people actually did have those years. So they're sort of always trying to resolve it, I think. That's interesting. I mean, another aspect is that I actually just can't get over the level of her fame. I mean, there's megastars. I mean, I really do think of Madonna in the white heat of her fame in the 80s mm. and early 90s. I can't think, yes, there's Beyonce and Rihanna, of course, but I can't think of anyone who's been so beloved by so many. Like, they're just, the tours are sold out globally. She's just touring till next December. So interestingly, there was actually like a quote that sort of sums it up. And um, it was, with the collapse of religion, the natural tendency of humans to seek idols to revere and worship mean that celebrity cults in the Western left have fertile ground to grow on. Taylor Swift is the celebrity cult for secular liberal white women. She is their God. I'm friends with a devout Swifty who knows the lyrics off by heart to 90 plus, 90 plus of her songs. <laughs> Apparently this is very common. That being said, she does make some catchy tunes. And that was something I was actually going to say is, She's got this uh, appeal that some of those megastars, if you think of like Madonna, Beyonce and Rihanna, mm. they have elements of um, controversy or being edgy. And the thing about Taylor Swift is she does, she started off in country music and she does appeal to that massive Midwest, mm. slightly more conservative as well. So she appeals to everyone on the spectrum, which means that, you know, she's the kind of person you might let your kid go to a concert of. Whereas if you're in the Midwest in America, would you let your teenage 13-year-old girl go to a Rihanna concert? Maybe not. Can she keep sustaining this level of um, fame? I mean, there's not many stars I can think of that get this famous that don't run into trouble. I mean, one of the things that she's always focused on is really taking care of her fans. I mean, I saw that video of her yelling at a security guard for har harassing a girl in the crowd kind of thing. She does inspire a lot of... Um, really strong loyalty I think for me and you know it's sad to say but it'll be interesting to see how it goes as she ages because right now she's still really young it'll be interesting if she's still 
able to tap into those same feelings when she's maybe in her 40s and 50s or she's going to have to pivot to appeal to a different sort of energy I suppose. So you think a lot of her fan base is around because she does channel that teenage girl? Yeah I think she could be a bit Stevie Nicks, a bit Kate Bush. Yeah we'd have to see what happens and also so many people seem to be quite driven by this like romantic stereotype for her they're always wanting to they're always standing her in relationships yeah and it would be interesting to see where that goes because I think with her personal life if she gets married and has kids how's that going to affect it but I think I think you know I don't see her going anywhere anytime soon no I don't in fact one of the best performing well I think it's one of our best performing posts on Instagram this year was when I post a picture of Beyonce and Taylor together mm. and it was when Beyonce was going to support Taylor at the premiere of her era's tour in the cinema and there was this comment that I found it said these two women with Barbie have done more for the US economy this year than anyone else which in itself is quite incredible when you think about it. Absolutely and I love that sense of um, sort of sisterhood as well that they're supporting each other because you could so easily have had them as rivals, you know? So I love that. Do you remember when the Renaissance tour started in Stockholm and there was this video that went viral of a bored-looking crowd and there was all these comments saying, Sweden failed her so bad, some of us were trying. <laughs> and another fan couldn't take their eyes off that a woman was actually texting during the concert and someone said some girls literally texting during Beyonce performing. Do you remember this? I don't remember it, but I also think you can catch anyone in a moment where, um, also I always think, I always feel bad at comedy shows because I don't laugh out loud. I sort of smile and laugh on the inside. Yeah. So, you know, that doesn't mean I'm not enjoying it. She could be texting someone going, can you believe I'm at a Beyonce concert? This is the best m moment of my life, you know? Exactly. And this is what someone said, while harsh critics were quick to slam the Swedish fans, many more jumped in to suggest it's simply cultural differences in concert etiquette. And not everyone goes feral like Americans. <laughs> and this is a really interesting point because oh, I do wow. know, I know, I do know someone that went to the concert and they said that it was actually quite overwhelming when they went to the concert. I think it was somewhere in like Italy and they were just screaming and shouting and jumping and you could barely hear Beyonce singing I think though as well right um so I went to I went to a Backstreet Boys concert here in Cape Town this year and we were doing the same but the difference is and you know where else um it was like that is when years ago in Manchester I saw the Dixie Chicks and the the thing with both of those is they've got very singable songs yeah. I love Beyonce, but I'm not singing along to Beyonce because I can't do anything with my voice that she can do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be enjoying it like, you know, Backstreet Boys, Chicks, possibly some of Taylor songs. You can sing along because they're more anthem-like, whereas if it's more of a virtuoso performance, I'm not going to, I can't sing along to that. There was this story in The Sun, and I don't know why, but it really cracked me up, but I could kind of imagine it happening to me. And they said, going to see Beyonce perform live should be one of the most memorable nights of your life. But fans attending her Renaissance tour are suffering bouts of post-concert amnesia due to a bizarre phenomenon. Ooh. So yeah, here comes the science. So the doctor said, Dr. Dean Burnett, a neuroscience at Cardiff University, told the Daily Mail, if you're at a concert of someone you love, surrounded by thousands of very excited other people, listening to music you've got established emotional links to, that's going to be a lot of emotion happening to you at one time. As well as being exhausting for the brain, it's going to mean all the things you experience will have a high emotional quality, which means nothing stands out. 
And that's important if you want to retrieve a memory for later. Well, I think with a lot of these stadium tours, everything is designed to be hyper-stimulating. You know, you have the rockets, the fireworks, the ponies, a million (laughs) wardrobe changes. It is too much information coming in for you to really be able to differentiate. So I, I, I think that makes sense. Also, who knows if people are drinking or just very emotional anyway. So, I mean, it's, mm. it, it makes sense that it just becomes this giant blob of emotional chaos. But, but that's okay because I think it's about the experience itself. It doesn't have to be about creating the memories. It's about enjoying the experience in the moment. Yeah, and you think about it like when the Beatles, do you remember when you're growing up and you'd watch music documentaries and there'd be always that moment when the Beatles came on and they show the girls fainting in the concerts. Yeah, it's like, it's like mass hysteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There was some sort of like before the doctor got involved and gave a theory about why this was happening to fans. Someone said online, Taylor could be casting spells at her concert. People say Beyonce is doing the same. You know, we did that magic episode about celebrity witchcraft and it is the go-to sort of uh, conspiracy theory. Particularly for women, I don't hear people suggesting that the Rolling Stones are um, casting spells. So I think that's quite interesting. So how could I not end it? We're talking about my queen, Madonna, who is still going strong in her concert and her celebration tour. And I think particularly after there was that scare with her health earlier this year and all that she's been through, I think a lot of people online were saying she's not going to come and do the concert. It wouldn't be good for her health. She's got nothing left to prove. Why is she doing it? And then also there was a lot of thinking or a lot of comments online that she's trying to like maybe claim or claw back some of the limelight from, you know, Taylor and Beyonce. And she Mm. had this ambition to make the tour even bigger than Renaissance, even bigger than Eras. But I watched the concert online, you know, as you do on those YouTube clips like I did with Renaissance and Eras tour. And she's doing a great job. I have to say it was a bit disarming to see her performing with the leg bandage. It was really nice to see her back out there and sort of defying the haters, so to say, that were like, put it away, grandma, you're too old. You've had your peak, you know, step aside for the young ones. But she's still going strong. She hasn't missed any of her tours. Okay, she's been late, which I think is a thing that she's been doing for years. And I don't get that. Like when you're so successful and you've got things organized, you know, logistically, why would you run and come onto stage when you're booked for eight o'clock at 11 o'clock and people are going to get home on public transport. I've never really understood that about her. Oh, well, I think there are two things because the very first concert I ever went to was a Whitney concert and I think she kept us waiting for like two hours. And maybe there is sort of a psyching up or other stuff goes wrong or you can have technical issues. Mm. I think it's a power play. So there's a lyric in a Nicki Minaj song where she says something along the lines like, tell them I'm going to be there in five, but I'm actually going to be another 30. And Mm. it's a total... Like they say, people with their riders asking for the most insane things. And Mm -hmm. when they'll get it for you, you know you've made it. I think there is an element of that that's at play, definitely. But it is interesting because a lot of people commenting just a few days ago that she was super late and people spent a fortune on a ticket and they Mm. had to leave. And after watching her for 50 minutes in what's meant to be a a two and a half hour concert, it is quite heartbreaking. What was interesting is, you know, we talked a little bit about before um, in our Madonna episode that she was going to make a film of her life and she was writing the script with Diablo Cody and she was going to cast Julia Garner to play her and she was the actress that was in Ozark and also played Anna Delvey, if you've Mm. seen the Netflix show. And actually Julia Garner turned up on stage on the 15th of December 
to do that sort of segment where she's doing sort of Vogue judging with Madonna. And um, they look very similar. And someone said, oh, my goodness, I'm seeing double. And then someone else said, we need to see this movie. And there's a lot of conversation that actually what happened to this film, because it had a lot of people attached to it. And then it just got pulled. And then Madonna decided to do the concert instead. So people are asking if she's still going to be making the film of her life or whether, you know, she's using the concert as the kind of grand finale. I hope it's not her goodbye sort of swan song, but we'll see. I mean, I saw a lot of gossip or behind the scenes gossip that, you know, she, she'd she been very difficult to work yeah. with. She was um, very controlling in the way that she wanted to present herself, which wasn't necessarily no surprises. always accurate. <laughs> yeah. And there's been a few people who walked out on that project you know, the first person she was writing it with, and I think even the second person. And and that for me is a little bit of a red flag. Like people are, they're finding it very difficult to work with her. And I, I mean, I think I can imagine she's a massive perfectionist and that's probably why she's so popular. You know, if I was doing my life story, I'd also be very controlling. So I can understand. Only the good bits, Sarah, only the good bits. <laughs> <laughs> So we're also going to talk about Alice Evans today because uh, that was one of our big episodes early on, The Right Kind of Wronged Woman. Yes. And the fallout from the messy divorce she's been going through with Ian Grifford and fighting over their kids. And it feels like there's just been one saga after another. Um, It has been absolutely tabloid fodder this entire year. Mm. And yesterday she was even spotted Christmas shopping. And it comes after she supposedly told friends that she can't pay her rent or afford food and is contemplating taking a job in Starbucks. Supposedly, uh, all the money that she got from her half of the house has gone on lawyers. So a friend apparently told Mail Online, Alice has been extremely upset and says that she can't afford to make rent when it's due later this month, at least not if they want to eat, and has just hit a financial rock bottom. She says she has nothing, not even medical insurance. And I know that's a big thing in America. Yeah. So apparently she hasn't been able to find acting work and she needs to look after her children who are school age. So she's now contemplating taking a job in Starbucks, but apparently doesn't think she can because either she's too old or her agent doesn't want her to. But it does seem a bit like a a massive jump, you know, to go, I'm not getting any acting work. Oh, I know I'm going to have to work in Starbucks. And for it to then be leaked out as part of a story feels a little bit like, a, mm. oh, look how bad my life is and look yeah. how terrible my ex-husband is. You know, it must be his fault. Because I'm surprised there aren't loads of things you can do, like the cameo stuff, voiceover stuff. Surely there's something that you, I mean, you could, even if you were then going to say, oh, I can't get a job in the industry, you could do data entry online. Why would you go straight as an, as a, a as a someone who's very recognisable to working in in a coffee shop. Why can't she go about quietly in the background and find something else? It feels like she's constantly punishing him. There's also a little bit of a disconnect for me. If you're going Christmas shopping and can afford to go Christmas shopping, then how can you not afford food? Well, back to our conspicuous consumption episode. Well, if you genuinely can't afford food, you don't go Christmas shopping. You find, I mean, my family was very poor at one point. You just don't spend the money uh, to get to genuinely True. not being able to eat. There has to be some child support she's getting. I, I mean, I don't know the details, but like it seems like a big leap. But why is she doing this so publicly? All exactly. The time? And, you know, last month, a, a judge actually ordered reunification therapy because there's been um, 
one of the daughters tried to take um, the father to court and say he didn't want to, she oh, didn't yeah. want to see, she wanted a restraining order, which didn't go through. And then they're now trying to f- um, make them work on the uh, parental relationship. But there's been loads of comments on this. Yeah. And I think one of them was, what a terrible mess created by the dad and massively escalated by the mum. Poor girls. I hope they can move forward with both parents putting them first. I won't hold my breath, though. Mm. Other people, I dread to think what Alice was like to live with. And then there's a lot of Tattle users in the comments. This side piece will get a bashing at some point. It's a story as old as the hills. Middle-aged man leaves his wife a woman young enough to be his daughter, paints the wife as nut job to take the spotlight off his cheating, victim plays, alienates kids. So you've definitely got people on mm. both sides, but essentially the comments also boil down to the effect that they're having on their kids. So like, these two have done so much damage to their girls. And another comment, I hope it all eventually works out well for their daughters. All this backstabbing that's been going on since 2021 can't have been good for them. When I saw that the daughter had filed an injunction against Yo and I was a bit like, my gosh, is this really her or is this Alice's kind of anger and rage towards him? But then I can understand if it's transferring to the daughters yeah. at such a high level. And what they say, emotions are contagious. How can they not pick up on her anger towards him? It's very difficult. And I really hope, I mean, we don't know what he's like. And that's part of it. We're just looking in, right? But it does feel like, mm, yeah, I I just hope that they, I don't know if it's too late for those girls now, whether they're going to be like Angela Jolie's kids. They're just going to be in her camp and that's it now. Bye bye, dad. You know? It's very difficult to know as well. And I think things can change over time. So a lot, there were a lot of, also a lot of comments about you know, they might not realize this late now, but when they grow up, they'll realize what effect their mother has had on brainwashing them. Those kind of comments. Ultimately, and I understand because initially, like we said in the episode, I tend to side with a woman who's been abandoned by a husband for a younger mm. model. I'm not mm. a huge fan of that. Um, that said, it has just become such um, a mess and such a public mess that. At this point, no one's clean, if you know what I mean. You know, on Reddit where they say everyone's the asshole here. (laughs) Yeah, everyone is. And also, like, what impact is this having on employing her? Because maybe, you know, you just Google her and you come up, would you want to hire her? Because she comes off, like she's just going to yeah, be trouble. And then what about him as well? She's really, not all her, but he is also created a huge mess around his career you know yeah well it's always become sort of um it is a lot about reputation like there was that massive fallout after Catherine Heigl bad-mouthed a couple of um movies she worked on and she reportedly was a diva on set and less and less people would hire her and the same thing happened to Lindsay Lohan when she was going through the height of her sort of party girl ways to the point where they couldn't get um insurance for her to do films and no one would hire anymore so it does have a big effect on your career. But are we talking about her career here or his career? Do you think he's going to make a comeback? Do you think he can? Because he seems to have a very loyal fan base. I mean, we know because we got a lot of them kind of making comments about our episode. You know, they're, they're very devoted to him. Oh, I think I think it's much easier for some for him to make a comeback, particularly as, again, men aren't hit by aging in the same way in that industry. So, you know, um, Dominic West had that whole scandal with Lily James and then it sort of like died down and he came back. The difficulty here is she's really not letting it die down. So 
I don't know. I, th- I I still have the feeling that he he has a better chance of coming back than she does. So another person we talked about in our episodes this year was Lizzo under our sort of fat shaming episode. But, you know, it wasn't long after we did that episode that all these bigger stories came out that mm. completely, I mean, up until that point, she had been a massive role model. She'd gotten a lot of hate, but it was usually people who body shame, yeah. you know, it was either racist or fat shaming sort of. So it was kind of, you know, she was considered a a very positive role model. But then Mm. there was a lawsuit that was filed by three of her former dancers that alleged misconduct by her production company and her dance team captain, Sherlyn Quigley. And among the claims included in the suit is that Lizzo would pressure dancers into unwanted sexual situations, made statements that were perceived as thinly veiled comments about a dancer's weight gain, and put people through grueling rehearsals that led to one dancer soiling herself. And so the biggest, you know, the headlines at first when they came out was like, she's been accused of sexual harassment. And your first thought is, what does that possibly mean? Yeah. From what I remember, it was something along the lines of there'd been um, after work, there'd been at a strip club or something, and she was encouraging, making people feel uncomfortable to sort of like get into the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, was I don't it like know how taking to say lap dances. Yeah, but when exactly. they're doing like lap dances and just being a bit, bit racy. And bit, yeah, I think doing something with bananas. Um, not those bananas again. <laughs> no, not my Reddit bananas. And the lawsuit was such a shock to a lot of fans because she has been very publicly outspoken about promoting women's empowerment and celebrating plus size bodies. So that thing where, you know, for example, there are a lot of comments like this tweet. It's ironic that Lizzo, an artist known for promoting body positivity and self-love, would be accused of weight shaming. And another person commented by saying, the situation is a reminder that public personas and private actions may differ and that no one is immune to contradictions. I mean, that makes me think of our Behind the Mask episode about talk show hosts who are very much present one way and that's that's their persona is that they're really friendly and lovable, but maybe they're not behind behind closed doors exactly and this was like one of the things that came up in our fat shaming episode that actually it's her brand to be fat do you remember that Mm. comment and like she's actually not allowed to lose weight it's it's one of her things and I thought that was a very strange thing like someone and she sort of hit back at the haters and said you know being fat is not my brand she is just being her and living in her world but what was interesting I did kind of feel like you, we discussed it, didn't we? After it, this happened, we were like quite gutted saying, mm. wow, this is such a shame. We'd just done this episode. It was doing really well. We felt like she was really spearheading this movement. And then this came out like a month or two later. And then I was watching her on Instagram, like what she was going to do next. And she kind of came out, did the usual kind of statement, you know, saying this is just trumped up charges to kind of like what do they always say when you um you leave a job and you start complaining? It's just your negative sour grapes, people. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a tweet that said to me, this is a money grab by three fired yes. empl- employees. So that was part of the thing is that they had been fired. Yeah. And a lot of people were as disappointed as you and I were, where they said, this is very sad. I thought Lizzo was the one celeb that was okay. So, you know, it is very difficult to know. I hadn't got that vibe from her, but there's no way I could possibly know. It's not like the James Corden or the Ellen one where you go, it's sad to hear this, but you know what? Now you say it, I'm not that surprised. 
I can believe it. Lizzo, I'm still a bit like, really? I do think that she her strategy has been just to like carry on as normal, keep posting, keep enjoying my body, keep being who I am, keep doing the music. But it's hard to know how this will play out for her because I think it's going to be one of those things that kind of you're starting to see a little bit in the comments. But, you know, girl, you're not addressing these things. Mm. How can you live with yourself type thing? There's always going to be that sort of group of people that are going to keep at it now about this. There's an element for me where if it is true, the psychology makes sense to a certain extent in that the amount of hate she gets for her body, mm-hmm. that she's having to sort of like hold this really strong boundary and just kind of, mm. you, you're not going to be untouched by that. doesn't matter how confident you are. If you've got people constantly belittling you and harassing you about your weight and, and demeaning you. I mean, I think she's done videos where she was crying, where she was just saying, can you all leave me alone? It's, you know, they say a lot of people who are bigger internalize their own fat phobia. They sort of, you know, they take it on themselves and then maybe they, it's sort of, you know, when they say shit rolls downhill, you know, if you're Mm. being bullied, you take it out on someone else. They often Mm. say kids who are being bullied are being bullied by their parents usually, or it's been modeled. Maybe it came out sideways occasionally. It's whether it was deliberate or people say harsh things in a moment. Everyone's capable of making a mistake or having an outburst that they regret that you then need to go and apologize for and take accountability. No one is perfect. It's whether it's a systemic working environment of harassment where it's deliberate. That for me is not, Mm. those are two different things. And if it's the Mm. second, then I think she does need to be held accountable. If it's the first, I don't know, Uh, like you still need to be held accountable, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. You made a very good point, but this is like, there is a lot of money at stake as well, isn't there? If she Mm. admits fault. And you notice this time and time again, when there's these claims that come out, people don't automatically come out and make big apologies because they're they're then admitting fault and then the civil suits will come, right? Well, if you take accountability, even in a small way, it can be seen as admitting liability in a litigious sort of society like America. So you're Mm -hmm. very much usually told never to apologize because that's admitting... Mm. um, admitting fault which on a for a legal standpoint just screws you over which i think is a sad message to be sending to the to to society that we should never take accountability or apologize if we've done anything even slightly wrong or even apologize that the other person is feeling hurt even if you didn't do anything wrong mm-hmm. i think what this ultimately shows is that it's never good putting anyone on a pedestal. You can admire people and really like what they stand for, but no one is perfect. So what's sad is, is, is it has felt like she has been sort of the face of the body positivity movement. And it's sad that she doesn't have, there aren't more people promoting that because it feels sort of like any attack on her is an attack on that, that movement, which it shouldn't mm. be. We should all be, we should all still be trying to promote those ideals. Well said. So we also just quickly wanted to talk about another story we've seen in the news this year, which is Zac Efron. And he's been getting a lot of comments about his changing face. He has. You know, he's got this very square face. He just did, I think, did he do his... um, Oh, he got a star. He got a Hollywood star. He got a Hollywood star and the photos for that. And most of the comments are really about his face rather than this achievement. So, for mm. example, I refuse to believe this is Zac Efron, one, one fan had written. Um, someone else said, Zac Efron is one more plastic surgery appointment away from looking like the guy from TikTok with the square jaw. Oh. And then Zac Efron is the new Mickey Rourke. Oh. 
So um, Mickey Rourke was, you know, a sort of handsome lead back in the day, nine and a half weeks, isn't it? I know, gorgeous. And then he sort of went sideways and decided to become a professional boxer. And I yeah. think he got a lot of physical damage from that. And it, that yeah. started his plastic surgery sort of journey, partly reconstructive to start with, but it feels a bit like that thing where once you start, you keep going and it gets out of control. And in fact, Zac Efron supposedly, it might be a similar situation for him. So one of the um, comments was, did he not have facial reconstructive surgery after falling over and destroying his jaw? I'm not sure if it's necessarily plastic surgery. You know, imagine if you did have to have this reconstructive surgery and then all you get is comments that like you've overdone the plastic surgery. I mean, that must be hard. Yeah. And I think a photo came out, was it a couple of years ago during COVID? And they said that he slipped on his socks and broke his jaw Mm. or something when running in the house. I don't know exactly, but there was some nasty accident. Because a lot of people initially were like, they didn't believe him. They think that he used COVID as a chance to kind of do some plastic surgery on his face. Uh, There was rumours that, you know, he wanted to get cast as the leading man, but he was too teen looking. And it did get me thinking, you know, when you got the world of like, you know, the Chris Hemsworths, you know, Chris Pratt, even the Marvel Universe generally, you know, that sort of challenge. Oh, like was it Robert Patterson and Batman as well? It's like the jawline. They say it's so important for the superhero face. And I'm like, people were saying that he had it done because he wanted to get cast as a superhero. I mean, I think that was a bit far-fetched. But if anything, it's probably had a negative effect. It just makes me think of Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing, who yes. had her nose fixed after that breakout role. And then suddenly yeah. she couldn't, it kind of ruined her career because she was unrecognisable. And the thing is, it's very hard to judge whether, I can't judge whether he looks good or not now, because all I can see is that he looks different. So yes. if I'd met him and never seen him, maybe I'd be like, wow, that's a handsome looking man. But now I just go, wow, he looks, he, I can't quite, that, that's yes. not quite, he looks different. And it just kind of plays with your mind. You know, and there was this, this comment that said, I mean, he was really nice looking before. I hate when genuinely good looking people do these things. I feel sad for them, especially if it was elective, which is, is we don't know because there are different rumors in both directions. If it was purely just because he mm. wanted to look a different way. Also, he was doing all that working out as well. So he looked a little bit, you know, pumped up. And I know that's for his new um, role. And he also did it for Baywatch. But you're right, Sarah. It's because you're comparing to him what he was before. It's like a bit like when Madonna came out with that surgery earlier this year. Mm. People, it's just the jarring nature of it. And then it's all the kind of like speculation online. Why? And then having to justify it. But it's also sad because you think, oh, it's one thing... Like women, we're kind of like cursed with all this aging stuff. But even beautiful young men who you think traditionally would never have worried about this stuff are worrying about it. And you see it all over Instagram all the time. Like, I mean, we've always had that kind of like men looking after themselves, but you see a lot more men being very conscious about their image, being in the gym, clean eating, um, looking super hot, trying to be thirst traps, basically. I think as well, possibly the fact that he's not that tall as well mm. plays a role in that idea that you have to be really masculine masculinity comes from height and you know there's always been those rumors about Tom Cruise wearing lifts in his shoes and being very oh, careful yeah. who who he stands next to particularly the whole Nicole Kidman saying she can now wear heels now that she's divorced him <laughs> um and I wonder if there's an element of that sort of an insecurity about about shortness feeling like you're not as masculine 
than yeah. compensating with that overly strong jawline. I don't know. This is complete conjecture, obviously. But also another kid like who's grown up on Disney has gone through that transitional period in the public eye, um, who's been in that white heat of frame, fame. Because do you remember how crazy it was after High School Musical came out? You know, he was almost oh as big gosh. as Justin Bieber in his own way. Yeah. And it reminds me of the girls who have to go from Disney teen princesses to how are they going to now be seen right. as women. You'll have yep. people like Miley Cyrus being overly sexual to try and break out of that Hannah Montana role. Is this yeah. his version of that? So it just shows that whoever you are, male, female, celebrity, got loads of money in the bank, you can still be really struggling with uh, insecurity, body image. You know, we, we often think, oh, I wish I had their life, but um, you're never enough. They're not only like they like the best looking people in the world already, they have to go and take it that one level further, you know? Mm. And also you could get the best possible surgeon and it can still sometimes go wrong. I mean, if anyone who's seen Botched knows and, and people like Priscilla Presley, you've got, they have all the yeah. money in the world. They could have all the best people and it can still not turn out the way you think it will. So it is a bit of rolling the dice, to be honest. So that just gives me extra permission to eat more chocolates this Christmas and grunge out. <laughs> I love how you, I don't quite know how you leapfrog there, but that's always a good takeaway from any point, I think. Yeah. And speaking of chocolate, I don't know if you know, but the new Wonka film with, uh, I think, Timothée Chalamet just came out. Yeah. And it actually went straight to number one. And it made a total of $151 million on its opening weekend. I mean, that is amazing because I just think like the other one with Johnny Depp just came out like a minute ago. Yeah. But I'm still in love with the original one with Gene Wilder. I don't know how they can top that. Oh, I don't think anyone can top that. And I mean, we grew up with that. That was a massive childhood yeah. film for me. And we're not the only ones because there has been a lot of debate online because of yeah the popularity of the original one. And then they did a Depp-Burton remake, which was also very, very popular. So comments range from the negative such as, I'll stick with the original, Depp already tried to destroy it, there will only ever be one Willy Wonka, it's not him. Mm -hmm. Others were much more hopeful, so we'll give this a watch just for nostalgia feeling. And I think I probably am more in line with this one. Yeah. And then there were some really <laughs> relevant ones to the film itself. He's still young, why is he dating a woman who already has two kids? I mean, that is absolutely random. I mean, I know he's dating Kylie Jenner, but what's that got to do with anything? Exactly. <laughs> well, everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. Then here are a few funny and bizarre comments, such as Willy Wonka is a freak. I've had chocolate Ooh. too, bro. Not going to act all weird because of it. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a river of chocolate, I'd probably get a bit crazy too. Yeah, I know. I, I would be very territorial over that river. And finally, brace yourself for this last one. Wonka is exceptional. This is a new holiday classic. Although the scene where Timothée Chalamet uses chocolate as a lubricant was very odd. Oh, what's going on here? Yeah. Don't know if I can look at my Terry's chocolate orange in the same light now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think anything can put me off a Terry's chocolate orange. I, well, really? Yeah. That, that, well, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> My imagination's gone completely off track. I can't concentrate now. Yeah. Carry on. But for me, they're, they are just the, the epitome of Christmas. Yeah, yeah. But they you, are. You know, 
I'm planning on having a really low key Christmas this year, and I but I've still got an insane amount of Christmas prep to do right now. Mm. What are you going to do? Well, we're just we're going to have a turkey Christmas because even in Australia, I have to do the English thing. But I'm just going to have a dinner with like three friends, and then that's going to be it for me. And then we're just going to chill by the pool. I think. How about oh, you? Sounds so lovely. Fir trees? Yeah, the fir trees. I'm actually going home and it was funny because yesterday, you know, I was really desperate to get a hair appointment to dye my hair. You know, when the roots grow too far, <laughs> like I'm literally half grey. And I thought if I turn up on the doorstep, they might not recognise I'm still their daughter. <laughs> so I was so relieved to get that done yesterday. But yeah, home in Dorset, but definitely going to be calling you and harassing you and outsourcing my sanity to you. Yeah, discussing Christmas TV. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we just really want to wish everyone at home a Merry Christmas. Yes, a very Merry Christmas. Remember, if you find yourself on the sofa, drowning in Quality Street rappers, probably like me, <laughs> scrolling through the comments and thinking, this needs to be a podcast episode, I'll probably be on Instagram, checking the DMs, waiting for some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? In the meantime, if you do find yourself with a spare moment... We would absolutely love it if you could give us a five-star rating, review, and share our podcast on Apple or Spotify. That would literally be the perfect Christmas gift for us. Oh, it really would. I'd love to wake up on Boxing Day and we've got all these extra five stars <laughs> and someone saying, I love you, Lisa and Sarah. Please keep going. So yeah. anyway, I think it's time for me to go back downstairs. I've got to get back through the crown. I've got to the part where it's all about the Middletons. And I'm a little bit addicted. Well, for me, it's all about murder mysteries. I think I mentioned that before. And I've been watching uh, the Sister Boniface Mysteries, which is basically a nun running around solving crimes on, um, on, a, on a murder bike. So what more could you want? Oh, that really sounds like you, Sarah. I love that. And, you know, I just want to say Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. And we'll see you next week for our second holiday special where we're going to be looking at what's coming up in 2024. Ooh. So have a good week. Thank you to our lovely producer, Emily. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. It really does help us in reaching more people. You can also follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at S2TC Podcast. You can find out more about the show, get behind the scenes, come and say hello. Until then, see you next time. This podcast has been produced by Emily Crosby Media. 